Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. All right, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Thank you for coming out on such a cold, blustery day. It's, it's kind of warming up. It's supposed to warm up, I think. So maybe by the time I get through preaching, it'll be just blazing hot outside, right? All right, going to be here a while. All right, we are glad to see you this morning, especially if you're a guest. Thank you for coming. My name is Nikki McCrary, and we just counted a privilege and an honor for you to be with us today as we begin a new series called How to Know God's Will. So if you have your Bibles, find Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to get over there in just a minute. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, we've got a little project going on here at the church where we're painting the facilities. And in case you missed it, We left a big piece of machinery right out in the middle of all the buildings just so that you would know. Now, I want to make it clear, that is not where the fall festival is taking place today, okay? It's not at the playground, and that is not one of the rides, okay? So nobody get in there and start pushing buttons and doing things, okay? I don't think our insurance covers all of that, so stay away from all that. But uh, we are looking forward to the fall festival this afternoon. It's a good time together. Well... I want to start out by asking you a question this morning. How many of of you have ever asked yourself the question, what is God's will for my life? And if you've ever asked yourself that question, you're in good company today, because I don't know many people here that are of much age at all that haven't asked themselves the question, what is God's will for my life? Because I believe we want to know that. And I don't know many people who don't want to know what their purpose is in life in general is, even if you're not a Christian. But especially if you're a Christian, I think you want to make sure that your life is following God's plan in regard to fulfilling what that purpose is, right? And so for most of us, this question about what God's will is for our life, it really doesn't come up unless we have a big decision in this critical fork in the road that our life brings us to, right? Like, who am I supposed to marry, right? Or what career path am I supposed to take? Or what college am I supposed to attend? Or who am I supposed to ask to the prom or that special night, you know, or whatever? Which job offer am I supposed to take? You know, especially if one of them is going to take me away from the city that we are living in now where we have roots and things are going on. I mean, how do I figure that out? How am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to buy a house or not, or which house I'm supposed to buy out of these 10 houses that we're looking at, or, you know, is it time to buy another car? What kind of car am I supposed to get? Am I to get a new one, or am I to get a used one? Am I I'm supposed to wait? I mean, the, we come to these critical forks in the road on these big decisions, and we usually cry out at that time, you know, God, please show me what your will is concerning these things. Well, for me, the first major fork in the road that I came to that I can really recall being a critical one was at the age of 14. All right, I've been going to church. Mom and dad's making sure I was going to church, and I'd learned that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I could be saved. And I definitely learned that I was a sinner at the age of 14, okay? That was clear and abundant to me, all right? Well, then there was a guy that came to our hometown there in Florence, Alabama, 
uh, by the name of Bob Harrington. And if some of you are older, you might remember him. He was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street. And he came and he did a crusade, which is like a big revival in our city, okay? And so I attended that Monday night. Mom and Dad made me go. I wanted to stay home and watch Monday night football, but they made me go. And so I sat up in the top of the very back row of that auditorium as far as I could get. But they had this huge banner that you couldn't miss, and I could read it from that top row in the very back seat that said, It's fun being saved. And Bob Harrington talked about the plan of salvation and how that we all need to be saved. And so I found myself that night at the end of that service going down and committing my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And I became a Christian. And you know what? That's been my testimony really ever since the age of 14 is it is fun being saved. It's a lot of fun. I have had a lot of fun in my life being a Christian and I still have a lot of fun. And, and I think the reason why it's been a lot of fun is because I've tried to stay as best as I could in the center of God's will. So I haven't lived, you know, outside of God's will for very long at least. And I think that's made for a happy, fun life. And I'm telling you, man, an adventure with God is awesome. And if you haven't tried it, you really ought to look into it. But one year later, I came to another major fork in the road. And that was, I felt like God was calling me into the ministry at age 15. And so I surrendered to that. And I can vividly remember at that point being very concerned about doing God's will for my life. What was his will for my life? What did he really want me to do? And so I first thought about being a bivocational minister. That is, I'd work a secular job during the week, and then on the weekends, I would help out at churches around town. And I'd always been interested in the medical field, so I took off pursuing a medical uh, profession in college. Well, about halfway through college, I came to that critical fork in the road where God says, no, I don't want you to be bivocational. Bi I want you to be full-time. And so I had to make a course correction, and I began to pursue getting ready to go to seminary. So I get to seminary, and at that time, there was two ways you could make a living enough to pay your bills in full-time ministry, and that was by either being a pastor or the minister of music. Well, for me, that was going to be a no-brainer, okay? So I headed off to seminary to be a pastor, all right? Well, the first semester there, I went to this weekend retreat thing where they were talking about, you know, surrendering to full-time youth ministry, you know, for like life. And I'm going, what? And I thought that was just what you did on the way to becoming a real preacher, you know? And, and so for the next 42 years, though, I spent my life doing youth ministry as a result of that fork in the road. Because like I said, I wanted to make sure I was definitely in the middle of God's will. And I can just very vividly remember doing that. So I surrendered to youth ministry because, you know, in youth ministry, not only do you get to be a real preacher, you get to preach, you get to teach, you get to do music sometimes, okay? I know G, C, and D. I can play those on the guitar, you know? And so I can get us through Kumbaya. And, and, uh, and so I've done that before, right? Uh, you have to learn how to be a videographer, and you have to learn to be a graphic design artist, all right? You have to learn videography, and you've got to... I, I had to learn how to do sound production and run a sound board, you know, all that kind of stuff. I had to be a, a, a circus director, you know, of, of a three-ring circus with a bunch of teenagers and keeping them happy and doing games and all this kind of stuff. And then at the very end, you get to do the fun part, and that's you get to clean it all up because there ain't nobody left. Everybody went home, right? They had their fun in their home. So I, I got to learn a lot of janitorial skills uh, being in youth ministry. So in youth ministry, you get to do it all, right? And so we pray for those guys. But like I said... It was a very vivid memory for me that I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss God's will. Because what if I missed 
God's will. That was going to be huge. I mean, how can I be sure that the direction I'm going all along these major forks in the road, that I'm making the right choices? Because, I mean, I'm fixing to commit my entire life to serving God. I better make sure that I get it right. Correct? And so it was a big deal. And so I say all that to say this to you today. For you to miss God's will, even by a little bit, would be disastrous. It really would. It'd be disastrous. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked to you about hitting a golf ball and just by a fraction of a millimeter mishitting it off the face of that club and how that over a period of two or 300 yards it can go 50 or 100 yards in the wrong direction and it'd be way off course of where you want it to be. Well, I had another thing that I wanted to do with the youth several years ago, and so I asked Faith Abel in our church to help me with this math problem because I am like a zero in math. I mean, I, I mean, I took a D and ran like praise the Lord, hallelujah, you know. And uh, but so I got Faith Abel. If y'all didn't know it, Faith Abel is a math genius. She helped me figure this out. I said, I want I want to illustrate to our, our youth, and so I want to illustrate with you today. If you go ahead and put that slide up there, I said I want us to get in a car and I want us to go from point A to point B. Okay. Now everyone knows that the shortest difference between two points is what. All right, good. You're still with me. Yeah, straight line. Just woke some of you up. All right. Glad you enjoyed that nap. You'll be with us the rest of the way. All right. So from point A to point B, I said, I want us to go there, and it's going to take five years to make this trip, so it's going to be kind of a long trip. But to do this, I want us to make it over a five-year period of time, and so we're going to drive 55 miles an hour, just like the song says. I'm going to drive 55, however that song, y'all older folks know that song, right? So we're going to drive 55 miles an hour for five years. That means we're going to end up driving 2,410,320 miles, or in a year's period of time, 481,800 miles per year. So yes, it's going to be a long trip. But let's say that you start off your trip for this five-year period of time, you start at just five degrees off-center. That is, you've got your wheel, and you just fractionally turn it to the left five degrees. Well, that takes you headed away from point B, five degrees in a different direction, right? Well, in the first year, you're going to be off course by 125,776 miles. That's not too bad. You could correct that over a short period of time. But in year two, you're going to be 251,000 miles away. Year three, 377,000 miles away. And by year four, almost 503,000 miles away from point B where you really want to be. And so for those of you who are math challenged like me, I had... I had Faith helped me figure this out, okay? It, if I were to do that, it's going to take me an extra year and a half just to get back to point B if I'm only five degrees off course in the beginning. So I give you these two illustrations to drive the point home that when you live even just a little bit outside of God's will, it can cause you to be off course for your entire life by a lot. Because, see, many of us, we think, you know what, I'm going to try to do God's will, but if I miss it here and there, you know, it ain't that big a deal. Or, you know, you know, this isn't that big of a decision. I'll just make one and run with it, you know. But, no, if you miss God's will even for a little bit, you can find yourself way off course over the course of your life. 
You know, I know people right now. I personally know people right now. The last 15 or 20 years of their life, they have been spending trying to get back to what God's will was for their life in the beginning because 15 or 20 years ago, they made a decision that threw them off course just a little bit. I personally know some people today that I believe in my heart of hearts that today they made a decision that is continuing to keep them off course in their life and what God's will for their life is. Now, I'm not saying I know what God's will for their life is, but I do know, according to God's word, what a lot of God's will ain't for their life. All right? And it's clear that they're headed in the wrong direction. You might recall our series about a year ago called The Path. We came up with a life principle that's still true today, and I want to remind you about what that is, and that is this. The decisions I make determines the direction and destination of my life. Remember that? It's so easy, but it's so true. The decisions I make determines the direction and the destination of my life. So if you want to end up doing God's will, you've got to be headed in the direction of God's will to start with. And the way that happens is by making decisions that line up with his plan for your life. And you're going, well, what, what, how do I know that? Well, we're going to talk about that. Because usually with these big decisions, there comes a lot of tension. The bigger the decision, the more tension there is behind it, almost to the point where it kind of paralyzes us in our decision-making process sometimes, right? Because we either we, we get this notion that we can either know God's will completely and not miss it without any shadow of a doubt, or we might make a decision where we completely ruin our life. And that kind of paralyzes us, right? Because that's a big deal getting it exactly correct or totally messed up. And so in an effort to avoid making that wrong decision, we will end up making a decision based on the circumstances that are happening around that time or maybe a coincidence that comes up and we try to read into it. Well, this must be God's will. Or we might even go with what we call a gut feeling. You ever gone made a decision on a gut feeling and then later on you realized it was just acid indigestion, okay, and you had a little reflux going on? All right? That, we're going to find out that's not the best way to determine God's will, but we do that. Or sometimes we'll go in the complete opposite direction. We'll get the mindset that God just doesn't really care about the details of our life. He doesn't really have a will for every single thing going on in my life, so it's no big deal. I'm not going to consult him constantly about all these things going on in my life. I'm just going to make a, a decision and run with it. Hope for the best, right? Or... We get this mindset, well, God does care about our life, and he does have a will for our life, but it's only in those big things, you know, those really big decisions like marriage and careers and stuff like that. But outside of those big things, he really doesn't care that much. And so basically, we can control the outcome of our daily lives and these daily choices that we can make on our own without having to involve God. So let's answer this first question that I think is super important right off the bat, and that is this. Does God have a will for your life. Does God have a will for your life? Now, the first service this morning, I had about 20. Yes! I mean, they hollered it right out. Maybe y'all are just afraid. So if you want to holler out an answer, it won't scare me too bad. Just, you, you can't. But the answer, if God has a will for your life, is a resounding yes, all right? This kind of came up in small group, all right? Back in the New Testament days, they were sitting around talking about this situation. And James came along and said, listen, y'all are talking about all these plans and stuff you have for your life. Here, here, listen to this, James 4, 15, 16, he said, instead, 
you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. That is, you, you run around bragging on yourself about all your plans and all your dreams and all your hopes and all the things that you've got laid out that you're going to do. He says, you know what? All of that is arrogant and all such boasting is evil. And so too many of us as Christians, I think, we develop this wrong mindset when it comes to these daily decisions about living our life every day with Jesus. And that is, we, we come to the place where we think we just make our own choices about most things and we will make that choice, and then we'll ask God to join in on it with us. Now, God, I've made this choice, but I'd really enjoy it if you would come and bless me in it, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Now, I bought this new car six months ago, but Lord, I need you to kind of join in and bless me in it now because I'm having a little trouble making the car payment on it. It don't smell as new as it did six months ago, right? Or I could go on with different things. But we'll make decisions. We'll ask God to jump in on it. Bless us. So that brings us to understand that, first of all, God does have a will for your life. And it's not just in the big decisions. It's in the little ones as well. So that brings us to the next big question. That is this. How can I know God's will? I mean, for certain. And make sure I don't miss it. Is it even possible? Is there a way to be certain that I am in God's will and that I'm not missing it somehow? Well, again, God's answer in his word is, again, another definite yes. All right, several scriptures here. Psalm 32, verse 8 says this. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Not a good pathway for your life. Not an okay pathway for your life. Not a we're going to get by pathway for your life. But he will guide you to the best pathway for your life. I will advise you. He'll help you figure out what that is. And watch over you. God wants you to know his will for your life because he has one, okay? Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. So it's a learning curve. It's a learning process sometimes, which you will find out is good and pleasing and perfect when you learn what God's will is. He has a will for your life, and he wants you to learn what that is. Colossians 1.9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. And what have we been praying? We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Now, why would you pray about something you couldn't get? See, it's right there. God has a will for your life. He wants you to know what it is and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the verse I asked you to turn to, if you'll look at it in your Bibles, Ephesians 5, verse 17, says this. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will, what the Lord's will is. So see, you have a choice. You don't have to go about life trying to figure out what God's will is, but to do so would be foolish. All right. And God says he don't want you to be foolish. He has a will for your life and he wants you to understand what it is, okay? So if God has a plan for our life, and I believe he does, and if we want to know God's plan or his will for our life, then knowing God's will and following God's will, it should be a priority for every single follower of Jesus Christ in this room today. It really should. It should be your priority. Am I in God's will? 
And how do I know what God's will for my life is so that I can get in there? So the first logical step is kind of defining what we mean when we say God's will. Because is it only about the big stuff or does it entail the little stuff? And exactly what is that? Well, the term God's will kind of falls under the umbrella of two big theological ways of looking at it, okay, or thinking about it. Number one, we have the secret will of God. Some people call it the hidden will of God. So we have the secret or hidden will of God, and then we have what's called the revealed will of God. Now, what is the secret or hidden will of God? What is that referring to? Well, it's another big term. It means that God is sovereign. God is sovereign, which simply means that God rules and he reigns over all things and that nothing in this world happens in any shape, form, or fashion outside of his perfect will. All right? Do I understand everything that happens? Absolutely not. Can I explain everything that happens in this world? Absolutely not. But I can believe, and I think it takes as much faith to believe in God's perfect will as it does just chance, okay? I believe that everything that does happen is because of God's sovereignty. And the reason it is secret or hidden is because he just simply hasn't caused it to happen yet or allowed it to happen yet or it has not come to pass, but when it happens, we will then know his will. It will not be secret or hidden any longer. But until that time, we call it secret or hidden because we don't know what it is. Now, there's a lot of verses on this. This is a deep theological thing. But the major verse I want to share with you, a passage, is Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. This is where God is talking to his people, explaining his sovereignty, and he's explaining it to us today. He says to us today, remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God. And there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. And see, we, we want to know that, right? We want to know the future. But only God can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan, God says, will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. That's God's sovereignty. And it's right here where a lot of people have a big problem with God. Because it kind of grates against our human nature, doesn't it, to have someone to have that kind of authority over us, to have that kind of power over us, to have that kind of decision-making over us and us not be able to do anything about it and not be a part of it. So a lot of people have a huge problem with God right here. And see, that, that's what it means to surrender your life to God, to ask Jesus to come into your heart and to give him control of your life. That's exactly what it means is you are surrendering to God and God alone who does what he wants to when he wants to because it's always going to be right. That's what you're surrendering to. You're surrendering all of that other stuff, selfishness to him. And so that is the secret or hidden will of God. Now, in contrast to that, we have the revealed will of God, which is simply the things that he's made known to us in Scripture. And he's made a lot known to us. There's not everything, and we're going to look at how to determine God's will when it's not specifically spelled out, but God's revealed will is the things that he's told us in his word. For example, we know that it's God's will for us to love our neighbor, right? Learned that early on. We know that it's God's will to not steal, right? We know that it's God's will to not lie. 
We know these things because they have been revealed to us in his word. That is the revealed will of God. So we have the secret will of God. We have the revealed will of God. And then we have these three areas that, that talks about God's will that we want to get into today and kind of lay the foundation for the next couple of weeks. Number one, we have the providential will of God. We have the moral will of God. And we have the personal will will of God. If you have your bulletins today, you might want to write that down on the back of it there. If you didn't pick up one, you might want to grab one next week. But the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God. Let's talk first of all about what the providential will of God is, all right? These are some things that God is going to bring about in this world no matter what. No matter what. Nothing's going to change it. For example, it's the providential will of God that God come to earth in the form of a human being. And we're going to celebrate that next month with the birth of Jesus Christ. All right? That was God's providential will. It was done. All right? It was also God's providential will that Jesus die on the cross for all of man's sin. And he did that. And we celebrated that last week together with baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that again today with another baptism. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the providential will of God. It's also God's providential will that Christ return again for a second time one day. Now that's still out there in the future to be determined, but that is God's providential will and it will happen. So the providential will of God, we need to understand this morning, that does not depend on our obedience or our disobedience. None of that matters. It's going to happen no matter what. It's going to, matter, it's going to happen whether you're on board with it or not. It's going to happen whether you understand it or not. It's going to happen whether you agree with it or not. It is his providential will. It's going to happen no matter what. But you need to understand we do play a major role in the fulfillment of God's providential will. All right, And like I said, one of our biggest mistakes is we go about life making our own choices and our own decisions, and then we, we ask God to jump in on it and bless it. Rather than going around looking for what God's providential will is, that is what God is already doing in this world no matter what, and then we join in on what God is doing, and then we'll know that we're in the center of his will. I mean, Henry Blackaby talked about this about 20 years ago. And how to know God's will. He said, you find out what God's doing in the world and you just join in on that and then you know you're in God's will. But how do you know that? How do you figure that out? Well, we're going to talk a bit about that a little bit more over the next couple of weeks because, again, God wants you to know his will for your life and then to do his will. Second of all, though, let's talk about the moral will of God. What is that? Well, unfortunately, when we were younger, it was all the do's and the don'ts, guys. You know, it's do this and don't do that. All those things that we didn't want to hear, right? But when it comes to the moral will of God, we're not talking about things you need to go and pray about. I used to tell teenagers all the time, there's a certain, they come to me and say, uh, Brother Nicky, I, I need to talk to you about something, and I, I just need you to pray with me about it, okay? And they would share with me, um, you know, what was on their heart, and it was always usually something that was clear in God's Word. We didn't need to pray about it. God had already spoken about it. You just need to get on board with it and do it or don't do it, okay? That's the moral will of God. You don't have to pray about it. Uh, for example, you don't have to pray about whether it's, you know, good to steal or not. It's not good, all right? You shouldn't do it. You, you don't have to pray about whether it's okay to lie or not. You don't, you don't do it, okay? But what about, no, <laughs> it doesn't say but, okay? It just says don't do it. A couple other things. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 3. God's will, there it is, pretty clear. God's will is for you to be holy. He wants you to be holy. That's God's will, to be holy. One of the ways that you do that is to stay away from all sexual sin. You don't have to pray about a sexual sin, about whether it's right or wrong or not. God's already spoken to it, and you just don't do it. All right? That's God's will is for you to be holy and stay away from it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We are to be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And see, that's where the difference really comes in, folks. We all have circumstances that come up in our lives, right? Some are good and some are not so good. And the lost world, they live their life by circumstances. And when they're bad, they think, oh, Lord, I have no hope. I have no joy. I have no peace. My circumstances are terrible, and so their life is terrible. But you know what? As those who belong to Christ, we're to live life differently. And all, we're to be thankful in all circumstances. Is everything good? No. But we're to be thankful in all circumstances because we have hope. We have joy. We have peace. And you know, when we live our lives differently because of that, that's when it becomes life-changing, folks. Because they expect the other. It's when you are in a bad circumstance and you have joy and hope and peace, people perk up, want to know what you've got that's different. 1 Peter 2.15 For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. All right. So unlike the providential will of God that's going to happen no matter what, God's moral will can be resisted by you and by me. We can decide that we're not going to do what's right or we're going to do something that's wrong. It's up to us whether or not his moral will is done. It's up to us whether we stay holy and live a holy life. It's up to us whether we're thankful in all circumstances. It's up to us whether we choose to do good around other people. And so that brings us to our third aspect of God's will, and it's the one that we're usually most interested in, and it's called the personal will of God for a reason. It's because it's personal. It's about you. It's what God's will is for your life, not your family, not your husband or wife, not your kids, not your parents. It's, it's God's personal roadmap for your own life. That is, where does he want you to attend school? All right? It's who does he want you to date and to end up marrying? It's what career path does he want you to choose? and to pursue. It's, am I supposed to have children or not if I'm married? And if so, how many children am I supposed to have? And when am I supposed to have them? Or am I to have children at all? Does God want me to adopt? Maybe God wants me to have adoption in my life. Or should I take a job in another city if it's going to take me away from the roots that I've developed here in Statesboro? I mean, does God really want me to go to Africa or some other foreign country and do his work? Or does God want me to go to Alabama, God forbid, to take on a job, you know, and do a job there? You know, pray the Lord no, right? Well, we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper over the next couple of weeks, but I feel like today I want us to lay this foundation that I think is critical in us figuring out 
how to know God's will, especially when it comes to our personal life. You can't just go about it arbitrarily. There are some foundational principles at play here. Number one, the personal will of God will always be found between the boundaries of God's moral will and his providential will. That is, God will never ask you in your personal life to contradict God's moral will or his providential will. He'll never ask you to do that. So if it's outside of his providential will or his moral will, if it's outside of what this says to do or not do, then I can tell you right off the bat, you're not in God's will. Okay? He'll never ask you to do that. Number two, the more familiar you are with the providential and the moral will of God, the easier it's going to be for you to figure out God's personal will in your life. So what we mean by that is the closer you're walking with the Lord every day, the clearer his personal will is going to be for your life. Because there's no way you can do his will if you don't know the do's and the don'ts and what he wants you to do and not do, right? Number three, a life without regrets is a life lived within the boundaries of God's will. A life without regrets is lived within the boundaries of God's will. That's why this subject is so, so important. I mean, who here today wants to end up regretting how you lived your life? Who here wants to do that? Nobody. And God doesn't want you to do that either. God wants you to know his will for your personal life. So let's just put a quick application to this, and then we're going to wrap this up for today, and we'll come back next week and really get into some more practical things about it. But let's, let's take these three things, the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and then the personal will of God for your life in this one area, okay? First of all, let's start with God's providential will. It is his providential will for all people to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, according to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, not just a chosen few, but whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is God's providential will for all people to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So then how does that play out with God's moral will? Well, I believe it's God's moral will that we live a life that points people that's in our circle of influence, whether it's on a daily or weekly basis, that we live a life that will point those people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ if they're not already saved, according to Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. Look at that. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Wow, did you see that? God's moral will is that you would live a life that would never take away from showing them the person of Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to God's personal will. You take these two things and put them together, God will never lead you to act or to live in a way that would harm your testimony to lost people. God would never do that. That would be God's personal will for your life. See how those three things kind of come together? That's how we figured that out. And so that's what we're going to be doing these next few weeks. I'm going to give you principles and, and tactics on how to know God's personal will for your personal life because I can't tell it to you. Only God can do that. And only you can figure out what his personal will for your life is. But here's the takeaway for today. One of the biggest problems to hearing from God and knowing his will is not that we don't have information. It's that we are unwilling to follow through on what he's already said. 
A lot of people are outside of God's will, and they know they are because they know they're not doing what God's already told them to do. That's the biggest problem. You see, God doesn't reveal his will for us to think about it or to pray about it. He reveals his will so that we'll just obey it. He wants us to do his will. And so we've got to come to the point where we really want what God wants for us more than any of the other options out there that are available. And folks, you and I both know there are a lot of options out there, right? But we've got to come to the point where we choose God over all those. So the process of discovering God's will is a far, far more than just getting information and facts. It's really allowing God to take us on a little bit of a process that will go deeper with him and to be more mature with him in the days ahead. So let's pray together and ask God to help us do that. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we pray together. Father, we pause now for just a moment to say thank you for showing us in your word how to love you, how to seek you, how to obey you more than anything else in our life. And God, we are grateful that your word teaches us that you have a personal will for each of our lives and that, God, you want us to discover that, to figure that out, and then to obey it. So, God, in these next few weeks ahead, we pray that we would be about knowing your will, seeking it, following it, and then doing it. And so, Father, we commit the rest of this time to you. Thank you for the uh, principles that you've given us through your word today to begin to understand what your will is and then to do it. And we ask it all in the name of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.